Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Leviticus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 16. And in Leviticus 16, it's so beautiful what's happening here because you see a, a level of intimacy. We've seen that before with Moses, indeed with Moses, and how beautiful it was to see in our study through the book of Exodus, to see Moses go up in the mountain and into the cloud, and he just has beautiful, beautiful intimacy with the Lord, where God gives him blueprints for the tabernacle and tabernacle worship and the priesthood. And now you're seeing this intimacy. We've already seen glimpses of it before, but you're also seeing it start to spread to through the priesthood and then through the people. And so here in verse 1 of chapter 16 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. This is what happened to Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. It says, When they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And you know what blows me away is that you see the character of Aaron. Because, it turn with me really quick to Leviticus 10. Just a little refresher course, just to kind of... Uh, in case we've forgotten, you know, sometimes you read a chapter, you know, and a couple weeks go by, several months go by, and you just not forget, but um, uh, the impact that it has on your heart, on your soul, it just, it's its part of the carnal nature. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It To me, it places more impetus on the importance of a steady diet of the Holy Word of God. Because in our carnal natures, what happens? We can forget. We tend to forget. We are forgetful people. That's what's so cool. You read the Bible and you keep going through the Bible. You know, you start with Genesis. You get to Revelation you, at the end. And you don't put it down. Be like, ah, oh, I'm done. Okay, I'm done. On to the next book. No, I mean, you, you're finished with it. You know, you go to Genesis, go to Revelation, and then you're done. And then you get to the end of Revelation and boom, right back in Genesis 1. And that's how maturity happens. That's how growth happens in the Lord. You start to understand and learn more about the character of our Lord and His loving nature. Look what happens in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Now these two were priests. Priests. Each took his censer, which is like a pan for coals. Each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord. Like strange fire is how it translates. Strange fire. Profane fire or foreign fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. I don't know what form of profane fire this was, but no matter what, we know that it was something that was not commanded by the Lord. They just took it upon themselves. Okay, well, you know, coal is coal. Oh, you know, a flame is, you know, a flame is, a, a one flame is the same as the next flame. But no, this is different. The Lord has a special equation that He uses, that He gives us. The question is, am I going to follow it and are you going to follow it? You know, like in math, 2 plus 2 equals 4. There's the law of arithmetic. 2 plus 2 equals 4. If I say in the law of arithmetic, 2 plus 2 equals 11. You're going to say, this guy's crazy. This guy's out to lunch. Two and two isn't 11. Why? Because you can be in a position where you're like, because I've gone to school. I've gone to, you know, I don't know when you learned that, third grade. I was in second grade, third grade, whenever I learned it. 
And look, I can just put, you know, two pencils on the table, another two pencils, and then add one pencil, two pencil, three pencil, four pencil, and I know two plus two does not equal 11. Because you know, you have learned these things. And what happens, you know, when you start listening to a preacher guy? And he starts to say, oh yeah, you know, the Bible says this. Turn with me over here, they say a verse. Turn with me over here, they say a verse. Turn with me over here, they say a verse. And what they're doing is they're painting a picture that has nothing to do with the truth of God's holy word. You know, that's why, you know, sometimes I watch TBN. Tricking Believers Nightly. And I watch that not for edification, but I watch it just to see like, okay, just to stay like on point spiritually. So I can pinpoint and say, wow, this guy's crazy. This guy's out to lunch. This guy's nonsense. You see preachers, oh, this is the preacher that does uh, grave soaking. They say, oh yeah, you go to, you know, a godly man who died, a godly woman who died, and then they're buried and in their church fellowship, they do it with the youth groups. Even, you know, all ministries, the youth groups, even the young kids. And they go to youth groups, they go to grave sites. And then they lay on the grave and they say, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that was on that individual, you're soaking it up when you lay on their grave. You're soaking it up. Where is that in the Bible? I'll give you the answer. It's not. In fact, the Lord says, don't play around with the dead. Necromancy. It's an abomination before the Lord. And yet, here you go. You got these preacher guys on TV, on TBN, tricking believers nightly, saying that, you know, they have, let me teach you the Bible. And the Bible says this, the Bible says that. Oh, by the way, we do grave soaking in our church. By the way, we take these young kids and we do grave soaking. Holy laughter. By the way, we do holy laughter in our church. Crazy. Crazy, crazy days that we live in. These are things that Nadab and Abihu got, you know. it. No matter what form of the profane fire, we just know it was profane fire. Strange fire. Something that was not commanded of the Lord. It wasn't part of the holy equation. God says 2 plus 2 is 4, and they were saying 2 plus 2 is 11. And look at chapter 10, verse 2. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. That's God's response. And they died before the Lord. They died. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. This is Aaron's kids that just died. The Lord took their lives. And Moses said to Aaron, this is, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those, who come, by those who come near me, I, remember the Lord is speaking, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. That's the Lord. Aaron's two sons just were consumed by fire. And the Lord is telling Aaron through Moses, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Not me, not you, the Lord. And so Aaron held his peace. I love the end of verse 3. Aaron held his peace. You know how hardcore that is? I mean, let's go back to Leviticus 16. 
So that's kind of like the framework of, of what we're discussing here. And I don't mean, I'm, I'm talking from Aaron's perspective. Like, whoa, his sons, his two boys were just killed. Their lives were taken by the Lord. Not killed in, you know, whatever fashion. They didn't, you know, slip and fall. Fire from the Lord consumed them. And so the Lord says, hey, Moses, I want you to talk to Aaron for me. Remember, Aaron held his peace. His two kids were just killed. Lives taken by the Lord. So now going back to Leviticus 16, the Lord specifically says, you know, go to the two sons or go to Aaron. And, you know, after the death of the two sons in verse one says, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother. Remember, Aaron held his peace and he made a stand for the Lord. You know, there's a certain manner of stoicism that comes with a stand in the Lord. And I don't know if stoicism is the right word, you know, but the stoic nature, it's not in a prideful sense. Not prideful at all. But it's inspirational. I mean, think of... You think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when I say stoicism, I mean, what if you and I were there and we're so freaked out about Nebuchadnezzar? We're so freaked out because we've seen him kill before. We've seen, we've seen him take the lives of people before. We know we're kind of afraid of Nebuchadnezzar and his power. And we love the Lord. And then he gives the command, okay, you know, when these instruments sound at this specific time of day, the instrument's going to sound, and everybody has to bow down and worship this image. And so everybody's gathered, all the townspeople, we're all there. And then, you know, the musicians go down, or the musicians, you know, blast their instruments, and the, the, the image is there. And because we have... More fear of Nebuchadnezzar than fear of the Lord. We bow down. And we're bowing down. We're just free. We love the Lord. But we bow down to this image. This, uh, I'm just painting a picture here. For example. And then we start to hear commotion. Little shouts in the background. And then the shouts get louder. And then they get louder. We can finally understand. It's like, hey, get down. Worship. And the shouts get even louder. Hey, get down or else we're going to kill you. And then we kind of turn our heads and look up. And what do we see? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's what I mean when I say stoicism. It's not in a prideful sense like, whoa, look how awesome. You know, not like, you know, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to pop their collars and be like, wow, look how hardcore I am. They're probably freaked out too. They're probably in their minds, they're thinking, great, you know, I'm going to die now. But as much as depends on me, I'm not going to bow down and worship this image. I only worship Jesus Christ. I only worship God. It might cost me my life, but I'm not worshiping this image. That's what I mean when I say it's inspirational. Because I wonder if there were anybody in that crowd who was like, whoa, 
these three guys made a stand. And it was like fuel for them to make their stands. So like if we were in that scenario where we're bowing down and we're so freaked out, we, we love the Lord, but we fear Nebuchadnezzar. And then all of a sudden we look up and they're like, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, maybe even whisper to him, Shadrach, get down. Meshach, get down. They're going to kill you. And make Abednego, just, just fall down. It's okay. But they're like, nope. They were making their stand. And then they get arrested and we're just like, oh man, I tried to tell him. I tried to tell those guys. They're dead, you know, and the next day, you know, you see them, you, you see them, you know, that night, you see them going into their house. The next day, you know, they come to the cafeteria, they join you at work. It's like, whoa, I thought you were arrested. Yeah, but let me tell you what happened. We were thrown into the fire pit. And Nebuchadnezzar looked in and says, I thought I threw three guys in here. But look, I count one, two, three, four. And the fourth is like the Son of Man. Theophany, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And so you and me who bowed down the day before, we're going to be like, whoa. What an inspiration for you and me to make our stands when our time comes. The next time it comes. That's what's so beautiful about reading the Word of God. Because we have Shadrach, we have Abednego, we have Daniel, we have Hannah, we have Deborah, we have Ezra, we have Esther, we have all these people. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And what inspiration they are to you and me today. And so going back to Aaron, his two sons were killed by the Lord, taken by the Lord. Have you ever had a child taken from you? I have. Tell you the truth, it would be better to have my legs chopped off and be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I would be more full of joy if I was in a wheelchair for the rest of my life with no legs. Call me Stumpy. Two stumps. What's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord is that He fixes you. He fixes your heart. You remember the blind guy at the pool of Siloam? And he's blind. And what does the Lord Jesus Christ do? He bends down, spits at the ground. I love that so much. He's like, moistening his palate. I mean, have you, have you ever painted before? And the paint gets dry, starts to get a little dry. What do you do? You add a couple drops of water, depending on how much paint you have. You have your palate and take a little dropper, you know, put a couple drops of water. Not too much because it's going to mess up the paint, you know, when it, on the canvas. But it gets too dry, you put a little bit of water in there. The paint gets dry and boom, it's like brand new paint again. And you continue. I 
love Jesus Christ. He gets down on his knees. He goes to the blind guy. He spits on the ground. Picks up the dirt. Makes a little mud on his palm. You know, was dirt. Now it's like, it was, you know, his dry palate. And now it's moist again. He takes the mud and he rubs it on the guy's eyes. Who's blind? Rubs it on his eyes. He says, go wash in the water. And in obedience, he washes in the water. And what happens? He can see again. That's what the Lord does with you. That's what he's, that's what he's done with me. And I know he's not done with me yet. He's not done with you. No matter what it is, no matter what your state of brokenness is, the Lord Jesus Christ will heal you. He will. And that's not just wishful thinking, a wishful statement. I tell you this from experience. He did it for me, he'll do it for you. And I love Aaron here in this particular passage. I can't picture his heartbreak. Uh, Maybe I can. In verse 2, look what happens in Leviticus 16. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil. And you know what's so beautiful about this? The Lord isn't saying, you know, Aaron, you're banished from me. That's, the Lord's not saying that. He's not saying, you know, Aaron, because of your sons, you're done. No, he's saying, look, stay obedient. Stay obedient. This is what the Lord is saying to Moses. Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. You know, maybe I'm wrong for stating this in light of the fact that Aaron's two sons are freshly dead in our particular passage here. But sometimes a good way to learn, perhaps even one of the best ways to learn the fear of the Lord, is to see the correction of another person, to see how the Lord responds. Just like, you know, Egypt, what the Lord did with Egypt. And then look at the surrounding peoples. You know, uh, Jethro, who was a priest of Midian, and all of a sudden the Midianites were like, whoa. We have our gods. We know Egypt has their gods. But whoa, the God of the Jews? That is no joke. That is some serious stuff. I thought my God was powerful, but whoa. The God of the Hebrew people destroyed Egypt. Where is the might of Egypt? That's what's so cool about the Lord. He's like, you know what? There's nobody higher than him. He is the almighty, period. Almighty. Bigger than your problems. Bigger than anything. Mightier than anything. Creator of all things. Sometimes a good way to learn the fear of the Lord is to see his handiwork in the life of another person. And I don't say that like, you know, look how awesome we are. You know, whoa, you know, bummer for that guy, bummer for that girl. 
Sometimes it's like, you know, the Bible teaches us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And you see that exemplified. Sometimes you're on the receiving end of correction. And I can say again that I have tasted that rod of correction. And so when I speak to you about these things, I tell you from experience. It's not just like, oh, I heard some guy say this on TV, so I'm just going to repeat it. No, I tell you from experience. The fear of the Lord has saved me from so many different problems. I was mad when I first learned about the Lord. I was mad at my Christian, my former Christian. I shouldn't say former, but you know, this was when I was a child. But I was mad at these, these Christian kids because they never told me. They never told me. Instead of them pulling me to Christ, I was pulling them away from Christ. I wasn't a Christian. But I did more to pull them away than they did more to pull me in. Remember, Satan's a fisherman too. At that time, I was a fisherman for Satan. But sometimes, you know, a good way to learn the fear of the Lord is if you haven't experienced that yourself, sometimes you see that exemplified in another person. I'll give you a, 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 an example in the church. Turn with me really quick to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse, First Timothy 5, verse 20. Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy. Young Pastor Timmy. He says in verse 20 of chapter 5, those who are sinning, not have sinned, not, you know, or former sinners, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. You see, that's like a pretty heavy verse. I tell you the truth that leaven in the fellowship, if, you, if you're in a leadership position like an elder or pastor and you correct another person who is sinning openly in a church environment, they're probably going to leave. There's a high probability that they're going to, leaven will leave. But the remnant will stay. And the remnant that stays will learn about the fear of the Lord. That's what this verse is talking about. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Remember Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Restore you who are non-carnal, restore another brother in the spirit of gentleness. Which is a beautiful thing. But in Titus chapter 3 verse 10, you know, several warnings can be given. Depending on, you know, the fruit of whatever sin is happening. Divisions that arise in the church, warnings can be given. Warnings are supposed to be given. Also in Matthew 18, verse 17, you know, it's uh, uh, to reveal in the church. Reveal, okay, you know what? There's this sin that's going on in the church, just like it's written here in verse 20. And when this happens, it's not in the spirit of anger. I mean, you can call it righteous indignation depending on the sin, depending on, you know, maybe it's like the 10th time. Maybe it's the 20th time. But you know what blows me away so much is that, you know, our pastor in California, my pastor in California always used to say, you know what, 
If people would obey the word of God for themselves, if people would read the word and obey the word, he says, I'd be out of a job. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't do any counseling. You know, there wouldn't be an exhortation about this particular subject. There wouldn't be correction about this particular subject. I wouldn't have to tell another brother, hey, you know, don't come to church, you know, listen to, you can listen to the sermons online, but you know, I'm going to visit with you and I'm going to meet with you because you're leaven right now. Because of your carnal nature, you are leaven. And I cannot permit you to come into the fellowship because a little leaven leavens the bunch. And I used to hate it when he say that. Because I was leaven, you know. I was lukewarm. One foot in the world, one foot in the church. And it's so beautiful because I learned the fear of the Lord. And on me, and I also learned the fear of the Lord by seeing it on other people. By seeing the Lord's work in other people's lives. His chastisement is like, whoa. I don't want to mess around with the Lord. And I wonder if, you know, how Aaron felt in Leviticus 16. His kids are freshly dead. You know, killed by the Lord. Their lives were taken by the Lord. And don't forget, Aaron himself is the one who constructed, fashioned the golden calf. He himself called the golden calf the Lord who rescued them from Egypt. He repented. He's been restored. And I wonder if his dishonor of the Lord was fuel for him to not desire to bring further dishonor to the Lord. And I don't want to glorify sin in any way, shape, or form. But in my life, and maybe it's the same for you, when there's egregious sin, you've tasted of that cup, you've tasted of the cup of correction, you've tasted the rod of correction from the Lord, and you're like, no way, Lord, I'm not touching that stuff ever again. It's like a child. You know, your child, you're like, hey, don't touch that. You know why, Pops? Because I said so. You know, the kid can't understand what you It's so crazy. You see parents now, and they have like little conversation that, you know, don't touch that. Why, Dad? Why, Pops? Well, you know, then they get in the big old spiel. They have like, you know, they're, they pretend they're talking to a 30-year-old. No, you're talking to, you know, a little one-year-old. You go out to the store and you see adults talking to their kids like they're adults. No, don't touch that. Why, Pops? Because I said so. Don't touch it. He touches it, boom. It'll, you know, tap on the derriere. He starts crying. It's okay. You can cry. It's okay to cry. Because, you know, I want my kid to feel that correction. And when the kid's older, then he or she is able to understand. This is why, my son. Baby girl, this is why. This is why. And then they can understand, comprehend. Be like, wow, my, my dad was helping me. 
My mom was helping me. She wanted me safe. He wanted me safe. But you see these parents, they have these big old spiels with, you know, adult spiels with their little two-year-old kid. Crazy, crazy, crazy times. But with Aaron, it just blows me away so much because, you know, you see the compassion of the Lord. Don't forget that Aaron himself stumbled in the Lord. And I wonder if that golden calf was fuel for him to say, never again, Lord, I'm not, I'm not going to bring you this honor again. Especially, you know, when Moses came down from the mountain and the golden calf was there. Don't forget that a large, not majority, but a large portion of Israel were consumed by the Lord. Look at the fear of the... When Moses was up 40 days and 40 nights in the mountain the second time, he came back down and there was no golden calf. The people were waiting on him. Moses, what did the Lord tell you? Whatever the Lord told you, we're going to do. And that's when the tabernacle, the construction of the tabernacle. Fear of the Lord. You know, sometimes people say, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. It's like, cool, you know, I love the Lord too. I don't doubt your love of the Lord. I love the Lord, I love the Lord. But you know what? I partied last night. I did my crack. I love the Lord, I love the Lord. Oh, I went to the strip club last night, you know, and I hooked up with this girl. Oh, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. But you know what? My head was in the toilet last night. I was, I was just puking all night because, you know, I partied too hard. But I love the Lord. That's fine. You say you love the Lord. That's fine. But what I want to know, brother, where's the fear of the Lord? Where's the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord in my life has helped me. It's like a break. You know, the love of the Lord is like the gas pedal. The fear of the Lord is like the brake. Oh, Lord, you know, I love you. Let's go do this. You tell me to do this. Let's do this. And then something happens. It's okay. Lord, break. I'm not going to go down that, down that path. Lord, I let you down before in the past. I'm not going to let you. I'm not, I'm not going to bring you dishonor again. I've dishonored you once in my life. I'm not going to dishonor you again. So breaks hit the breaks. So beautiful when we learn these things. And so the Lord is telling Aaron through Moses. Not saying, Aaron, you know, you're kicked out, you're done. Your, your kids blew it, now you're toast, you're done. No, he's saying, Aaron, this is still for you. This is for you. He said, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come, just at, to, come, to come at just any time into the holy place, into the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. The Lord is telling Aaron, Aaron, I still want intimacy with you. But you know what, Aaron? I'm holy. And you're not. And I'm teaching you about holiness. I'm teaching you how to be holy. It's the same way for you and me today. We're not in our glorified bodies yet. Yes, we're Christians. I pray you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian... You know, hit pause and then listen to a message about receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And pray the sinner's prayer. And then when you're done with that, it's just like a short, like 10 minutes. I think like five minutes. And then when you're done with that, come back and listen, you know, and resume. God loves you. 
And so God is telling to Aaron, Aaron, I'm teaching you about holiness. These are my rules. These are my instructions for you, Aaron. For you, Moses. And then it trickles down. It started with Moses and then, you know, it goes to Aaron and then Aaron's sons, the surviving sons. And then the elders. And then the people. The people. A lot of times you hear people talk about the Moses model, you know. Oh, the Moses model, you know, every every everything flows through Moses. No, Moses wasn't alone. Moses was alone, but for a very, very short period of time. Because, you know, he made a stand for the Lord. And it's like, whoa, you know, it's like, you know, like the example I gave where it's like stoicism is uh, inspirational. It's like a magnet. There are certain people in my lives where it's like, whoa, they're stands for the Lord, it's like such inspiration for me where it's like, whoa, Lord, I want to be like that. Not in a copycat kind of way, but to see self-denial and see how the Lord responds to self-denial because you see more and more of Jesus Christ inside of another person. Like, you know, you read about... In the halls of faith, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You read about it. It's like, whoa, Lord, I want to have faith like that. All these here, you know, you see like little kids. Wow, you know, I want to be like, you know, Superman. I want to fly like Superman. You know, all these parents teaching their kids about comic book characters. And you see kids running through the house. I'm the Hulk, you know. I'm Superman. I want to be this, that, whatever, you know. I said, what about the Bible? You know? I want to be strong like the Hulk. No, you know, look at all these other heroes in the faith. In the faith. You teach your kids the next generation. of Because you know what? You're going to die. And when you're dead, you know, they're going to carry on you know, for their next generation. They have to teach the word. And so look what happens here. In verse 3, then Aaron shall come into the holy place. You know, he's giving them, he's, the Lord is giving Aaron instructions. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with the linen sash and with the linen turban. He shall be attired. These are holy garments. Remember in Exodus, in our study in Exodus, when the Lord gave Moses the blueprints? And then, you know, from the Lord giving Moses the blueprints of the tabernacle, of the priestly garments, all of a sudden, you know what happens? That, that was like in the uh, um, uh, early 30s chapter, and then you get into the late 30s, and what do you see? You start to see the makers, who are the ones who are qualified to make the, the, the artisans. And then they start making, and then you have the completion. And then you have, you know, the priesthood putting on the holy garments. And then you start their functionality as priests. And it's so cool to see that because, you know, remember the golden calf. And then you see their repentance. And then you see the Lord using these people. Blessing these people in the aftermath of repentance. Yes, Moses came down from the mountain with his assistant Joshua. 
They come down the mountain and it's just them two. And boom, what do they see? The golden calf. But then in the aftermath of repentance, what do you see? A people ready to construct and build a tabernacle. A priesthood ready to perform the duties of the priesthood. That's the aftermath of repentance. It's a beautiful thing. The angels rejoice over one person, one soul that comes to repentance. And so look what happens here. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in, in water and put them, on, put them on. It's the same exact thing right now. Water baptism. The baptism of John. That's repentance. And then what happens? We put on Christ. You come up out of the water. Death to old self. You're alive in Christ. And then you come up out of the water. And now you put on Jesus Christ. You wear him like a garment. Many forget this aspect. They just think, okay, I'm going to go down in the water. I come up out of the water. I'm a new creation. Boom. You know, I'm going to go out and get drunk tonight. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to, you have to, and I have to reckon the old man dead. The old man is dead. The old woman is dead. We're alive in Christ. We no longer wear our old garments of the flesh, of our old carnal nature. We wear the garment of Jesus Christ that He gives us. And then we move on to perfection, putting aside, laying aside the elementary things and moving on to perfection. The same way a child goes from first grade to second grade to third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, college and university. It's the same exact thing with us. Growing in Christ and maturing in the faith. And so look what happens here in verse 5. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Remember, Aaron was first. You know what's happening here? Aaron is first. Now it's the people. Aaron is a vessel. There's no hypocrisy in Aaron. Yeah, he had the golden calf, but he repented. That's what's so beautiful about repentance. It's forgotten. When you repent before the Lord, you're washed by the blood of the Lamb. It's forgotten. I mean, say you commit a sin and you go to another, you know, you say you're sorry to another person. You've repented before the Lord and you go to the person like, hey, remember when I, you know, stole a hundred bucks from you? Say, yeah, I remember you stole a hundred bucks from me. You know, I can't believe you did that. That's when you go to a man. But then when you go to God, Lord, you remember when I stole that hundred bucks? I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? The slate is clean. That's forgotten. As far as the east is from the west, it's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. So you go to a brother, you go to a sister, hey, remember that hundred bucks I stole? Yeah, I remember you broke my heart, man. You go to the Lord, what are you talking about? It's forgotten. Let's move on. Let's move on. I love that so much, you know. Move on to perfection. And so look what happens here in verse 6. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and, uh, and make atonement for himself and for his house. You see, Aaron's home is in order. Aaron's home is in order. 
And now because it's in order, there's no hypocrisy. Now he's able to perform these duties as the high priest. The same is, it's exactly the same today for pastors and elders, homes in order. I mean, if my home's in disorder and disarray, biblically speaking, I cannot be a pastor. If a home is in disorder and disarray, a guy can't be an elder in the church. I mean, have you ever met a, 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 an elder, a, a drug addict? I have. Have you ever met a pastor that's a sex addict? I have. I don't listen to them. I've told them before, hey, you know, cut this out. This isn't good. Repent. I've told pastors before, you need to step down. Biblically, you need to step down. You cannot be a pastor. But, you know, I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> but look what happens here. You know, Aaron's house is in order. Now he's able. Able to, not for himself, for the people, a covering for the people. It's the equation. Two plus two equals four. You know, a lot of pastors today, a lot of elders today, is 2 plus 2 is 10. 2 plus 2 is, you know, 1,020. 2 plus 2 is 3. No, 2 plus 2 is 4. It's a holy equation. You know, oh, your home's in order. Everything's in order. Like a little check mark, you know. Check this, check this, check this. Okay, now you're able. The lights are on. There's oil in your lamp. Now you're able to bless the people. Now you're able to teach the people. There's no hypocrisy. You're not preaching the Bible and then going doing your sex stuff. You're not teaching the Bible and then going to get high with your old friends. You know, you're not teaching the Bible and then having sex with girl number one, girl number two, girl number three. No, you're teaching the Bible and you're just having intimacy with the Lord. And it's like, boom, he fills you up. And the, because you're a new wineskin, the Holy Spirit is, you know, the Lord is pouring new wine in you. And then, you know, it's flowing out of you and onto the people. It's the holy equation. There's no other way. No other way. Church is in a social club. It's training ground, boot camp. Straight up like, you know, infantry training. That's church. And so look what happens here. So he makes, uh, there's atonement for himself and for his house. This is for Aaron. And then in verse 7, he shall take the two goats. Remember, it's, uh, this is two goats from the, uh, the, the, uh, 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 the congregation of the children of Israel. So now there's the uh, sin offering and the burnt offering. It says, he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door. At the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall ca cast lots. It translates as casting pebbles or casting stones. It's like, I don't want to say throwing dice, but that's what I think of when it's like throwing dice. You know, but you cast lots. So like it says, then Aaron cast, cast lots for the two goats. One lot for the Lord. And the other lot for the scapegoat. For the scapegoat. You know what I love about verse 8? It's out of man's control. So like, you know, Aaron could cast, you know, before casting lots, he can't look at the lamb and be like, wow, this is a good lamb. You know, this is for the Lord. Wow, you know, this is a, a, a good lamb. It's okay. And, you know, this is going to be for the people. No, it's he's casting. It's like, for, it's out of my hands. 
It's out of the hands of Aaron. Cast lots. Now, you know, I have to say a little comment here because there are some extra biblical sources about this scapegoat. And when I say extra beyond the biblical, it's from the Apocrypha and even the book of Enoch. Me personally, just so you know, I don't study those. I don't study nor do I accept the uh, Apocrypha or the book of Enoch or all these um, extra biblical study sources. I, I, don't go with, I don't go down that road. Do you remember when Pilate was before the Lord and, you know, Pilate says, I have the power to kill you or, you know what, I can free you. And the Lord told him, you have no power over me except that which is given to you by my father. You have no, you're powerless, Pilate. That's why, this is my personal belief. The word of God that we have today, Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. It's the word of God. The word became flesh. And I believe that this is the truth that the Lord wants for us today. For you and for me. Because, you know, somebody could say, you know, 200 years ago or, you know, at the, at the initial councils where they, you know, put the, 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 the canon together. Oh, I have the power to include the book of Enoch. No, you have no power except that which is given to you. Oh, I have the power to include the Apocrypha. No, you have no power. Just like, you know, Jesus Christ told the pilot, you have no power. You think you do, but you don't. So the, the counsel that we have today, Genesis to Revelation, everything in between, that's the word that the Lord wants for us. Plus, you know, I could say a little bit more about that, but I won't. You know, the Roman Catholic Church, what they accept, you know, the, the Lord rescued me out of the Catholicism. But what they accept in the Apocrypha, what they accept in, uh, uh, from the Book of Enoch, hundreds of years ago, look at, look at them today. You know, and if you're a Catholic listening to that, you know, sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but the proof's in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. If you're a Catholic listening to my words right now, the Lord rescued me from that cult. I love you. And I have to tell you, come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Where in the Bible does it say to pray to Mary to rescue dead relatives from purgatory and that the Virgin Mary is going to usher people to Jesus Christ? You won't find that in the Bible. You can search and search and search, but I tell you from experience, I've searched myself, you will not find it. That is unbiblical teaching. The Bible says is appointed for man to die once and then judgment. So if you're Catholic, listen to my words. I love you. You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And come out of Rome. So that's my little commentary about the scapegoat. It's beautiful what we're going to study, but I just had to throw that in because a lot of people, you know, then they get into demonology. 
when you look at these, the Apocrypha in the book of Enoch, then you get into demonology about the scapegoat, and then you try, you apply it to, you know, you read certain passages, John 4, you read certain passages, and they say, well, maybe it means this, maybe it means this, and then it just becomes a mess. And so let's look at here, or, or Luke 4, I should have said Luke 4. So look what happens here in verse 9, Leviticus chapter 16. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. Remember, there are two goats. But the goat on which the lot fell to the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord. Remember, the burnt offering. So the, the, the goat which died, which is, you know, its offering is a sin offering. But the one that's presented alive is the burnt offering. To make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. This, you know, Jesus Christ fulfilled both. He pays for your sins. He pays for my sins. But then he's also a covering. The propitiation for our sin. My sin, your sin. You know, it's not that we're going to never sin again, but, you know, Lord willing, we're going to sin less and less and less and less. And when I say Lord willing, you and I have certain jobs to do, certain duties. It's to say, you know what? Look for that door of escape. When you're tempted, the Lord always makes a way of escape. It's to take the door of escape. You're tempted for X, Y, Z. Well, don't follow it. Don't, don't, take for, don't take the bait. Don't fall for, you know, whatever bait it is. Look for the door. Look for the way of escape. And so that's what I mean when I say you and I have a role to play. Making our call and election sure. sure. Working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Making our stands for Jesus Christ. So let's continue. In verse 11, and Aaron, and I, you know, I, I don't want to sound overly dutiful because we have a helper. You know, that's the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the helper. So I don't want to sound like overly dutiful, like, you know, look for the door and run for the door. Because, you know, the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit will help us in our in all aspects of our faith, in living out our faith, the Holy Spirit will. The question is, do you have ears to hear? Do I have ears to hear? And will we keep having ears to hear and eyes to see? And so look at what happens here in verse 11. And Aaron uh, shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Verse 12. Then he shall take a censer, like a fire pan, full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. Whoa, so now we see a little picture of the Holy of Holies. The Holy, the, like, you know, inside the tabernacle, there's the holy place. There's like a little, you know, a little area. There's the holy place. But then inside of that is the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is and the mercy seat. And so now we see a picture of what happens behind the veil. And he shall put, in verse 13, and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, on the ark, lest he die. Lest he die. Turn really quick to Exodus 25. 
In Exodus 25, this is part of, you know, the, the, uh, 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 the blueprints that the Lord gave to Moses when he was on, in the cloud on the top of the mountain. In Exodus 25, verse 21, it says, You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. It's the Ten Commandments. And there I will speak with, I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will, which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. It's a little point of communication where the Lord speaks to the high priest. The high priest comes out and says, "Thus saith the Lord." You're gonna see. We're seeing, you know, the blueprints given in Exodus 25 in the latter chapters. And here we're seeing, you know, further instruction, what, what happens inside the Holy of Holies. But that's, that's the purpose. For God to commune with the people, to God to communicate with the people. But it's through the high priest. And you're going to see it from here on out. You're going to see it lived out. Even when we get into, you know, uh, further chapters into the major prophets, minor prophets. You're going to see the high priest, you're going to see the priesthood, and sometimes you're going to see them obedient, and sometimes you're going to see them disobedient, and you're going to see how the Lord responds to that. How the Lord in one generation says, you know, you are my people, you know, you are my people, you bind these on your heart, and then you keep reading, and then he straight up says, you've played the harlot. He hasn't turned their back on Israel, Israel turned their back on him. You've played the harlot. An Old Testament example of the apostate church. The apostate church of the last days. Is that possible? It's certainly possible for a church to become apostate, for a Christian to become apostate. To fall away. Taken by apostasy when you're tossed to and fro by all winds of doctrine. Apostasy. Turning it back on the Lord. Having no love of truth. Very wild days we live in. Wild, wild days we live in. And it's going to get worse. These things are prophesied. They will happen. As surely as the Lord lives, they will happen. There will be an apostate church. I shouldn't say there will be, you know, we're already living in the days of the apostate church. But it's going to get worse. And worse. And worse. But let God be true and every man a liar. And so look what happens here going in Leviticus 16 verse 14. He shall take some of the bull of the he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat, on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So we get a little picture of what happens. Like, whoa, Lord, what happens in the Holy of Holies? It's so beautiful how the Lord communicates with the high priest and how the high priest goes in and then speaks to the people. Thus saith the Lord. In verse 15, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is, which is for the people. For the people. Remember, in the verse 9, it says it's the Lord's lot. This, this sin offering, you know, it's for the people. He shall kill the goat, goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. It's for the people. 
the Lord's lot, you know, it was a sin offering, but it's for the people. What does that show us? Remember, when people present their sin, their offering for sin, you know what is it? It's to take a lamb and to present it for the Lord. The, the, the first fruit, if you're poor, a turtle dove. If you're middle class, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, a lamb. And if you're rich, an ox. But no matter what, there's an offering unto the Lord. It's a special, you know, to, to, to be right with the Lord. We studied this in, you know, uh, Leviticus 1, 2, 3. But this is a little different picture. It's a goat now. It's not a lamb. It's a goat. And what do you see? You see the offering, which is the, it was the Lord's lot. It's a sin offering. It's for the people. So you have... In Leviticus 1, 2, and 3, you have an example of what the people bring. And here you have a picture of what the Lord has brought. It's Jesus Christ. When you come to Jesus Christ, you don't have to present Him a lamb. You come to God, you don't give Him a lamb. You give Him your heart. He offers the lamb. The Lord's lot. He offers the lamb. You accept the lamb. And then you have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of your heart. Blood. A lot of blood. You know, we're studying all these passages. You're going to see a lot of blood. And there's more. What does that tell you? What does that tell us when you see all this blood? A lot of sin. A lot of sin. So it says in verse 15, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So these are the duties of the high priest. Remember, in Christ, the veil was torn. The veil was, he was on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He says, Father, why, uh, uh, why have you forsaken me? And he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He dies on the cross. And you know what happens? You go from Golgotha and you take you know, like a little drone, you know, you fly up from Golgotha and you go right into the, te- the, the, uh, uh, the temple. You fly over the gates of the temple. You see, you know, the doors open at the uh, uh, holy place. You go in and you're right there in the holy place. And what do you see? Boom, the veil is torn from top to bottom. From top to bottom. Fulfillment of the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is the high priest. Hebrews 5. All you got to do, read Hebrews 5. It's so powerful when we read these passages in the law. Not advocating the law, but the law being a shadow of the things to come. It all points to Jesus Christ. In verse 16, So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. You see like, whoa, there's a lot of blood. We're going to see more blood. Numbers, Deuteronomy, more blood. Blood upon blood upon blood. It's like, whoa, look at all the sin. Look at all the transgression, uncleanness. And he continues in verse 16. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. 
in the midst of their uncleanness. It's so beautiful when you see this. So he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them. Turn with me really quick, really quick to John 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this. And the word became flesh. The Word became flesh. Remember, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh. Verse 14. And dwelt among us. This is the word dwelt is the tabernacle. That's what you hear me say from time to time. In the Old Testament, you have the tabernacle. It's a noun, an actual place. In the New Testament, as New Covenant believers, it's a verb. Walking with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ with you, Jesus Christ with me. Now you should say us with him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us to tabernacle. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. That's why, you know, you read these passages in the law and back in Leviticus 16, and you see, he shall do, in verse 16, he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And you read these passages like we just read in John 1. It's like, blows your mind. It's like, whoa, I get it now, Lord. The Old Testament is indeed a shadow of the things to come and how much more we can fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Jesus Christ. In verse 17, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement. Remember, that's the purpose. Atonement. People are unclean and it's, Lord, how am I going to get this guy clean again? Lord, how am I going to get this lady clean again? How am I going to get this boy clean again? How am I going to get this girl clean again? The Old Testament, the Lord has rules, statutes, guidelines to follow. New Testament, same exact thing. Rules, guidelines to follow. Very important for pastors, elders, parents. You know, cleaning. Cleaning with the Word of God. You see somebody, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, Bible teacher, you know, who knows what people have gotten themselves into. Say you see them Sunday, every Sunday, Sunday to Sunday. Who knows what happened from Monday to Saturday? Who knows? Say you have midweek Bible study. Who knows what happened on, you know, Thursday night, you know, uh, Monday and Tuesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You don't know. But then they come in, they listen to the word, and you know what? You've prayed for the, you've prayed for the people. You know, the Lord has given you a message, and what do you do? You just feed the people, and you cleanse them as gently as you possibly can. You gently cleanse them with the word of God. Bathe the people in prayer. And supernaturally, something happens. It's supernatural. It's beyond your control. You can't control. It's beyond your control. But supernaturally, something does happen. You know what you start to see? Holiness. Holiness. You say, what do you mean you see holiness? Well, how can I say this? For me personally, it's holiness is palpable. Wickedness is palpable too. But holiness is palpable. You can see it in homes. 
not just in behaviors, but it's just like, have you, I mean, for example, have you ever walked into a wicked home and it's palpable where it's like, whoa, you know, I'm here. I don't really like it, but I'm here and you're there. You're still a fisherman, but you're wise. You're not a stupid fool. You know, somebody says, hey, you know, I got some crack. You don't do that. You're like, okay, I'm out of here. But have you, have you ever stepped into a home of righteousness? It's also palpable. It's beautiful. That's what I mean when, you know, holiness happens. It's the work of the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit. You can't, humans can't do that. Yeah, that's, that's, it's impossible. You can attempt, humans attempt, humans have attempted in times past and even presently, but it always ends up in failure to our own shame because it's a poor witness for the Lord. Very poor witness for the Lord. But the Lord's still in the same business. That's the purpose. Cleansing people. This guy's dirty. How do I get him clean again? And so in verse 17, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. So clean vessels, clean vessels and shall make some, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. It says cleanse it and consecrate. I love that word so much. It's set apart. That's what consecration means. It's set apart for the Lord. That's what he said. To cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So what do you have a picture here in the Old Testament in this particular camp? You have an unclean camp, unclean people, and the Lord has given instruction. Okay, this is how we're going to get these people from unclean to clean again. In that midst, in that environment of rampant uncleanness, what also do you have? Clean vessels that are inside the tabernacle, ready to be used by the Lord. Clean vessels that have been, as is written in verse 19, consecrated, set apart for holy use. You know what that is a picture of? You and me today in God's house. You and me today. Unclean world, clean vessels. Why? Because you and me were consecrated unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ for His use, for His purpose, for His glory. What's the purpose? Atonement. Upon who? Go fishing. Go fishing. Vessels, clean vessels that are consecrated unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Remember the gold? In Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, verse 22. It's just the Lord and Moses that are having a conversation. It's the Moses, I would say his introduction to the Lord. I mean, he's had previous encounters with the Lord. You know, I don't think it was he particularly knew that, yes, this is the Lord, just because you have his, 
You see his unease as we studied his growth. But here he's tending the flock in Exodus 3. He's attending the flock of Jethro and he hears the voice, Moses. And there's the burning bush. The Lord tells him, Moses, come over here, take off your sandals, put it in the place where you stand. It's holy ground. You know what's so cool about that? Moses, take off your sandals for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moses didn't think like, wow, this is crazy. I'm out of here. He did it. He took off his sandals. Obedience. Little baby steps. It's like baby steps for Moses. Obedience. Okay, I'll take off my sandals. I don't know you, but I'll take off my sandals. And look at this beautiful relationship up until this point. Whoa, how the Lord has revealed himself more and more deeper and deeper to Moses. The same way the Lord introduces himself and makes himself known deeper and deeper and deeper with you. But in Exodus chapter 3 verse 22, the Lord tells Moses in just one-on-one, in that introductory conversation, oh, by the way, Moses, you're going to plunder Egypt. No disrespect to the Lord, but I'm just carnally speaking now. Do you know how crazy that is? Do you know how crazy that is? I mean, you know, say for example, I'm American. I don't know where you are in the world, but I'm American. But say for example, you're in, you know, you're French or you are uh, Vietnamese or you're Russian. One guy, one lady alone, all by yourself, tending a flock. And you hear a voice, and the Lord tells you, this voice tells you, you don't, you don't know it's the Lord, but this voice tells you, you know, He introduces Himself to take off your shoes because where you stand is holy ground, and you do it. And you're all by yourself, in the middle of nowhere, in the wilderness. And then the Lord says, oh, by the way, you're going you're gonna to take the plunder of China. You're going to plunder China. That's what I mean when I say, you know how crazy that is? No disrespect to the Lord. Forgive me, Lord, if it comes off that way, but I'm just trying to paint a picture here. By the way, you're going to plunder China. Carnally speaking, that's craziness. It is so beyond the realm of fathomability. It's like, whoa. And you know what's so beautiful about the passage in Exodus 3? Is that Moses was still obedient. Take off the sandals. Okay, Lord, I'm going to take off my sandals. You're going to plunder Egypt. Okay, Lord, I don't know how, but you know what? Okay. And in Exodus 12, verse 36, you know what's happening? Exodus 12, verse 36, the plunder of Egypt. And then you know what happens in Exodus 36? That plunder, a lot of gold, a lot of gold, that plunder is now in use for God. Vessels of God in His tabernacle. The lampstand, 
you know, the ark, certain, you know, pieces of the ark, the altar, all these different, it's like, whoa, that's the plunder of Egypt, which is now in use in the tabernacle for the purpose of cleansing Israel. That's you and that's me today. What was your Egypt experience? I could tell you mine, but I'm ashamed of it. What is your Egypt experience? Where did the Lord pull you out of? And when He pulls you out, He cleanses you. There's atonement upon you, the covering, and He'll keep cleansing and cleansing. And you know what? Because you're reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, and putting on Christ, you're a new creation in Christ. People say, I'm a new creation. Well, if you're still on crack, you're not a new creation. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. Well, you know, if you're still going to strip clubs and still having sex with girl number one, two, three, why you're married? That's not a new creation. That's an old wineskin. And an old wineskin, it's impossible for old wineskin to hold new wine. Impossible. In fact, dangerous. Don't be that way. Remember Jesus Christ? Oh yeah, he hung out with the prostitutes. He hung out with the tax collectors. Yes. And he said, go and sin no more. You know, when you're absolutely sinless, you'll be dead. But to sin less and less and less and less and less and move on to perfection. You say, oh man, but I'm on the crack pipe already. Well, come out of Egypt. Come out of her, my friend. You say, I'm out of Egypt. I'm not on the crack pipe anymore. I don't do that. I don't smoke this stuff anymore. I don't, you know, I'm not cooking spoons anymore. I'm okay. I'm out of Egypt, but I don't need that. Well, in whose service are you in? Yourself? I've tried that too. And it fails. Allow yourself to be in the service of the Lord. Come to Jesus Christ. Yes, out of Egypt, but now put yourself in the service of the Lord so that He can use you. He can cleanse you and wash you and cleanse you. Just like is it in verse 19. Cleanse it. It says, Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times. Cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. You see? This is on the altar. The horns of the altar, which are gold. Gold. What happened in the, in the Holy of Holies? Gold. You know where that gold is from? Egypt. The plunder of Egypt now in the service of the Lord. It's an Old Testament example of the church. The Old Testament example of you and me in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so look what happens here in verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. Remember, the holy equation. The priesthood service that they have unto the Lord, not for their own self-aggrandizement, not for their self-exaltation. It's for the Lord. In verse 22, the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So remember, there's two goats. One is a sin offering, one is a burnt offering, one is dead, and one is alive. Both a symbol of Jesus Christ. This scapegoat bears, the, bears in verse 22, uh, bears on itself all their iniquities into an uninhabited land, is released into this uninhabited land. What does Jesus Christ do? He bears our iniquities and he goes to a place. He goes to prepare a place for us. That where he is, you may be also. You see how beautiful this is? Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments which he put on, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in the holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering and the and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. It says in verse twenty five. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar, and he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in the whole, in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. It's their entrails. Burn it all. In verse 28, then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. You see, what we see here, and not just here, we're going to see in more in Leviticus. We're going to see in Numbers, Deuteronomy. We're going to see it in uh, the Chronicles, the Kings. A lot of repetition. And when I say repetition, it's the performance of the law, what these statutes are. Even, I mean, and when I say the, it's not, I'm not reducing the law, but I'm always going to make mention of the law, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But we're going to see a lot of repetition of this law in functionality. But we're also going to see a temporal nature. Like, so for example, like, um, in verse 23, um, Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water, uh, put on his garments. So if that was, that's what I say when there's a lot of, uh, repetitive, it's like he has the garments on, he has to take them off, wash again and put them on again. And then a lot of washing. 
Remember, he's, he's, the, he's the priesthood, not just the priesthood, but he's the high priest. But there's this, uh, this repetition. There's a, a lot in the performance of the law. But I love that it's written there. Because there's a better one that's coming. Something better is coming in the future. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8. And in Hebrews 8, says this in verse 6. But now he, notice the capitalization here, it's Jesus Christ. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. That's why you hear me say from time to time that the law, what we're reading in Leviticus, it was created with loopholes. To make way for a better covenant. Verse 7 says this. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So this repetition we're seeing in Leviticus, the repetition of, okay, you know, do this, you know. And I don't mean to say it like, you know, do this. I don't mean to say it like you sound all bored about it. But you know, you, that's what we see. Repetition. Offering here. Offering there. Offering for this. Offering for that, you know. Take off the clothes, put on the clothes, put on the garments, take off the garments, wash, do this, put on the garment. And I'm not speaking negatively about the Lord. But I love that it's there for the priesthood. Because even in that aspect of repetition, you see the need for something greater. And I'm speaking about Jesus Christ. The better covenant. You see the fault in the old covenant. Because if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. You see? Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. A better law is coming. The law of Christ. The fulfillment of the law. That's why the letter of the law brings death. But what does the spirit of the law say? Remember the Pharisees before Jesus? I say it a lot. But they were like, yeah, you know, we follow Moses. We're not going to listen to you, Jesus. We follow Moses. And the Lord was like, you know, Moses wrote about me. If you don't, if you, you, you don't, if you're not going to believe, you say you believe Moses, but if you're not going to believe Moses, how can you believe my words? Because they were awake to the letter of the law, but the Pharisees were blind and deaf to the spirit of the law. Very important because as we study these passages in Leviticus, the Levitical uh, 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 passages and Deuteronomy and Numbers, I don't want Satan to whisper in your ear and say like, wow, okay, now we have to do these things in the law. No. 
it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the veil was torn from top to bottom. There's a new high priest in town. In Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the outermost parts of the earth, for right where you are right now. Jesus Christ, the high priest. And so look what happens here. Going back to Leviticus. Leviticus 16. Verse 29, this shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. Translates as humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. How beautiful it is to be humble before the Lord. Remember, the meek shall inherit the earth. Not the proud. The meek shall inherit the earth. I haven't golfed in a while. It's been a couple years since I golfed. But, you know, I used to hit a nine, like a nine iron. I remember when I could hit a nine iron, like, you know, like 90 yards, and then I could use a nine iron. I started to get, you know, stronger speed and, you know, swing my hips better and my arms come down. And then, you know, all of a sudden I started to get 110 yards, 130 yards, 150 yards. But on a good day where there's no wind, I used to get like 170 yards out of a nine iron. But you know what's so beautiful about a nine iron? Sometimes you're just right on, right outside the green. You You just need to get... A little tiny chip right above some thick grass. And even though I can get my 9-iron, I can send the ball 170 yards. I take a 9-iron and I just want to go, like, you know, a foot. You hit it lightly, just a little tap. And it jumps up and it goes over the thick grass and it rolls towards the hole. That's meekness. Yeah, you can have all kinds of power to do whatever, all kinds of strength, all kinds of ability, all kinds of whatever to do whatever. And say like, wow, look how awesome I am. I'm going to glorify myself. But you know what? I'll tell you a better way. Instead of using your might to deny self, to humble yourself, yeah, I know. You know, just like me, I can hit a nine iron, 170 yards. But no, sometimes I just want to give it a little tap to hop up six inches. Meekness. Meekness. To deny self. And the Lord's grace is sufficient. And then you rely on His strength, His ability. His power is the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's what the Lord is teaching the people. Hey, you didn't defeat Egypt. I did. You know, don't think you're mighty. I am mighty. You need me. And you know, it's so beautiful when we see what the Lord is teaching, gently, gently teaching as a gentleman. Have you ever had a teacher that's a jerk or like a coach that's just a total jerk? It's like, man, you know, I used to love whatever sport, but I don't even like it anymore because of you. You're a jerk. But then you have a coach that's just like a gentle instructor. It's like, wow, you make me love this even more. That's what the Lord is doing with these people. I'm teaching you. I'm protecting you. I'm guiding you. 
And it's going to break your heart when the people say, we don't want the Lord, we want a king like these other people. And it kills Samuel, said, breaks Samuel's heart. And the Lord says, Samuel, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. And then enter Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, and you see what happens with Jonathan, Mephibosheth, and then enter David. These are things that we're going to study. And because we have this backdrop of the law, you're going to understand why the Lord takes the course of action that he does. Without this backdrop of what we're studying in the law, you read certain passages in the Chronicles and the Kings, you're like, whoa, Lord, that is like hardcore. Like, whoa, Lord, why are you doing that? I don't get it, Lord. Why are you doing that? That's why people, when they don't have this backdrop of the law and what the Lord has done and what He is doing through the law and teaching and instructing the people of righteousness how to be, how to be clean when they're unclean. People say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is so full of wrath. No, He isn't. Wrath is an aspect of Him just like He is today. Just like wrath is an aspect of Him today. Judgment is coming. Wrath is already here on individuals. Just read Romans 1. But he's still long-suffering. He loves you. He loves you. He wants to teach you. If you're in a state of uncleanness right now, I myself have been in that state of uncleanness where I could take a million showers. That's how I felt in my heart. I could take a million showers Dry myself and I'm still dirty. And I knew I needed something that could clean me on the inside. And a Christian guy I knew gave me his Bible. He let me read his Bible. That's what you need. If you're unclean and you're listening, you might be like, man, you know what? I'm so strung out on meth. I'm so strung out on crack. I'm so strung out on sex. I'm so I cheat on my taxes. I beat on my wife. I do these. I have a girlfriend here, a girlfriend there. If you're a girl, you know I have a boyfriend here, boyfriend there. You need the Lord. I've tried it. I've been in the world. I've been in Egypt. Come out of her. This is what the Lord is teaching us. Just like he's teaching the people, hey, humility, it's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing because it helps us rely on a strength outside of ourselves. Outside of you, outside of me. Complete and total reliance upon Jesus Christ and God's ability. And the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what he's saying here in verse 29 of Leviticus 16. He's saying, in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls as to humble yourselves and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you, a foreigner who dwells among you. A very, very, very early shadow of Gentiles being grafted into Israel. Old Testament example of foreigners translates as sojourners when you read it in hebrew they're like sojourners foreigners that are sojourners but they see israel and they're like well you know what i want to be a part of that and we're going to see that more in numbers certain rules that are for the foreigners for the gentiles in the camp of israel 
In verse 30, for on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you. Remember, that's the purpose. Unclean to clean. That you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. You shall humble yourselves, is how it translates. It is a statute forever. In closing, and the priest who is anointed and consecrate to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. Remember, Moses' two sons, as the next high priest, imagine if the Lord did not consume Nedab and Abihu. And those guys are going to be the high priest one day? Those guys are going to make atonement for the people? Ones, guys who've offered profane fire to the Lord didn't follow the command of the Lord. And not only that, they don't regard the Lord as holy or his statutes as holy, and they're going to be the high priest. So when, when you look at things in that perspective, then you start to understand, oh, Lord, I get it. I get it, Lord, I understand. You know, church isn't a family business. You see it sometimes, you know. You have a pastor, he's an old guy, and he's like, man, you know, he's you know, kind of little, you know, can't hang anymore. To teach the people. And so what does he do? He says, okay, so this is for my son. It's like, a, you know, like businesses that are handed down to in, in the next generation. It's fine for business. But in the church? No, it doesn't work that way. Look for godliness. Righteousness. Just like the, the, the men to serve at tables in the book of Acts. Choose men, you know, of a good witness, full of the Holy Spirit. And where's the family? You might have a family relation. But if there is no family relation in worldly blood, there's definitely a family relation in heavenly blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a different family tree. And church isn't a worldly business. It's God's business. Who's the righteous? Remember Saul? Like, you know, are these all your sons? Oh, I got another son, but he's just a little pipsqueak. And Samuel, where is he? Samuel goes out to meet him. And it's just Samuel and little David. Beautiful little David. And he gets anointed by Samuel. A little intimacy. Samuel, David, and the Lord. It's not manly business. It's not, you know, worldly business. It's God's business. And so look what happens here in verse 34. In closing, this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year, as he did as the and, and he did as the Lord commanded Moses. You see Aaron's obedience to the Lord. Through Moses, you know, Moses was giving the instructions. Moses, Moses was receiving instructions from the Lord, and then Moses was giving the instructions. That's why we say Moses is a type of Christ. 
What does that mean for you and me? We obey Jesus Christ. And in obedience to Jesus Christ, what are we doing? We're obeying the Father. We're glorifying our Father by obedience to Jesus Christ. I and my Father are one. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Those are His words. And so powerful when we read these books of the law, instructions of the law, but as new covenant believers. It's so beautiful. Because we get a deeper understanding of what the Lord is doing, what the Lord has done, and we get a deeper understanding of His nature and His character. We're going to end our study here, and Lord willing, we'll pick up next week in chapter 17. God bless you guys. Love you guys.